live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Carlson from the corner. Petrangelo toward the goal. They score. Dorothea the tip at the right side of the crease. Vegas now on top, four to two. Two forty-one to go, second period. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, time to welcome in Reno. Vegas is here. Adam Candy is here as well. Justin Watkins, our legal insider, voice of reason, former public servant, is here with us as well. Say hi to Adam Candy. What's happening, Adam? Justin, I'm glad that the voice of reason has arrived. Well, you were so explosive in hour number one. I, I don't don't know that I could give you that. Or have you with that moniker this hour. I think you'll calm down. You'll be a voice of reason this hour. Is that okay? Whatever you say, boss. Well, in a lot of ways, we do fill roles on the show at times. You know, someone can be the heavy. We have multiple people who can be the heavy, the one, the two, the three. I mean, I'm the light. I mean, I, I weigh like 12 pounds. What are you talking about? Like, come on. We start off every 4 o'clock hour, Big Four at 4. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at 4. Number 4. Candy, I'll ask you because I, I know the answer from uh, Justin. Um, is TikTok part of your life or not part of your life? It is not a part of my life. I downloaded the app when a former politician threatened to ban it, and that was just a protest measure, but I have never opened it. Okay. It is such a part of my life. A lot of it I use for show prep, but I'm on it way too much. And there is this community building. I think there's a lot of anti-establishment stuff up there. There's a lot of political stuff up there. You know, you, you look at what you want, what you don't want to, want, you want to watch. The algorithm sets you up. But I think there's a lot of positive things about TikTok. But we know about the negatives, that it could be freaking spying on us. So we'll get into that a little more. Apparently, the CEO of TikTok is going to be in front of Congress tomorrow. I wanted to play you this audio from an analyst just talking about what the pitch is going to be to the feds to say, hey, this is too big a deal now. There's too many positives. You can't get rid of this. Currently, TikTok says it has 100 million people in the U.S. who are active, regular users. What I'm told is that the CEO is, when he testifies on Thursday before the House committee, that he's going to say that number has now jumped to 150 million users. Why is that and relevant? so that's relevant because as Washington sort of figures out what to do with TikTok, they've had this review, national security review going on for three years. Congress is trying to figure out what they want to do with it. It's just becoming more and more entrenched mm-hmm. in Americans' li- daily lives. And so one of the things you're going to see TikTok do is pull out a lot of stops this week. Yeah. They're bringing these creators to Washington, and these are people who are small business owners, entertainers, things like that. And they are going to make an economic argument. So they're basically going to say, here, look, if you ban TikTok, this is going to hurt us financially. Yep. Yep. I th- We're I- too far in. They can't take it from us. There's I too many positives. I think that's more of an argument that it should be taken away than no, not. You no, know, like, no. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a question. I mean, I love TikTok. I mean, I had it it's and I loved it. And it's so much better yes. than everything else before I it. I agree. At the same time, it's, it's not, they may be spying on us. They absolutely are in fact spying on us. And I know on an individual claim, you say, I don't care. I don't care what, there's nothing relevant to me. 
They're, I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm nobody. They're not going to care. Who cares what I'm looking at and who cares what I'm watching? But to that level, you know, we have 350 million people in this country. And if 150 million people, they have some goods on. Imagine what our our leaders and our lawmakers and our politicians. Imagine what these foreign governments, China specifically, would have on these people. Not today. They're playing the long game. When the when the kids now who are 20 become 40 and they want to move into those types of careers, what will what kind of leverage are they going to have over them? It's going to be immense. It's insane that we've allowed it to go this far. Damn you. Damn you. I don't have a comeback. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to grab some audio for uh, down the road. of uh, I, I saw a guy explaining just how, why it's so important in terms of power to the people, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't overcome the fact you're not that we're giving being power out. to the people. You're giving power to China, is what you're doing on the ground here. We're doing power to the people. <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, oh, we're, oh we're are you? Yes, are you? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. we, we yes. certainly yes. we certainly have not seen the influence of a foreign government potentially having influence <laughs> over certain people over the last okay. few years. Have we, Steve? Federal government employees cannot use it. State government employees cannot oh, use it on their yes on their devices. On their devices, they cannot. Yes. They're what? certainly not going home to their personal phones. What about the ones who aren't yet but will be? Yes. This is a long game, man. It, it, it's it's crazy that it's crazy. It's absolutely insane that we have not banned it yet. And the the idea that the argument's going to be well so many Americans are on it, I think as a lawmaker I would be like that sounds worse. That sounds way worse. <laughs> That's why we need to get rid of it. Number 3. So we had a story come down early in the week and Trent Sieg is out as the long snapper with the Raiders and they brought in a new long snapper who frankly could be better than Sieg. But what about cohesion and team chemistry, Candy? Adam Hill was making a really big deal of this, and on the surface it seems like, wow, you're switching long snappers? Who cares? His argument was it is the best room they have, and no one ever has to worry about the punter and the kicker and the execution. Why would you screw that up? Potentially. Potentially. Yeah, I think we've already had plenty of evidence in 12 – odd months of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler that they don't care about (laughs) any of that. This is going to be their building. They're going to be their rooms. And at the point where Derek Carr was benched for the last two games of the season, I think any thought of continuity and goodwill and leaders of locker rooms, no matter what you thought of Derek Carr, Derek Carr and Rich Bisaccia were the ones who got the Raiders through the turmoil of 2021. And so in 2022, you saw Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler kind of bide their time a little bit. Well, there's going to be a lot of turnover when it comes to this franchise. And one thing is going to be clear. It's their stamp on it, one way or the other. I want my kickers happy. Number two. I want my running backs happy. Austin Eckler. I'm surprised he's this forthcoming, but this happens. This is one of the benefits of podcast player to player, former player to current player. Here's Eckler talking about his contract. Chargers told him a couple weeks ago, yeah, go go look for a trade partner. We're open. You go do what you want. Go ahead, Austin Eckler. Look, man, like I'm I'm so underpaid right now yeah. as far as my contract and what I contribute to the team. It's like I am relentlessly pursuing this. Like yeah. I, I want to get something long-term done. I want a team that wants me long-term, right? Because look, I, I'm at the peak of my game, right? Like yeah. I'm I'm going to score you another 20 touchdowns. As long as I'm healthy, I'm going to score you 20 touchdowns. I'm going to have, you know, another 1,600 all-purpose yards, right? I'm getting half my value of what I could be getting, right? So it's like I am relentlessly pursuing someone who wants me. Oh, man, if that were about 25 years ago, 
he would have gotten blistered, especially if we wouldn't seen the video. It would have been some snarky writer who would have misrepresented him. Not all people did that, but that could have happened. I see his side of things. But, man, around the NFL, it seems like everyone is in lockstep on what they're doing with running backs. And Austin Eckler and, you know, to a certain degree, right, our guy here, Josh Jacobs, they're just screwed. I, I, what's going to happen here? Is a running back never going to get, you know, a four-year deal for $13 million plus? It's never going to happen again? I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand Austin Eckler's position, too, and I'm – in his camp, as far as that goes, if you can find a trade partner who wants to give you that money, go go do it. But I'm as a Charger fan, I'm happy the Chargers are doing what they're doing. I mean, the the analytics say don't pay the running back. History says don't pay the running back. I mean, point to you know the examples of signing long term deals with running backs in which you contribute a significant more amount of your salary cap. And show how that works out as compared to finding running backs where you can find them, and, and the difference in the drop off and, and as as no return on investment. So, I, I'm with the Chargers on this one. It is what I would want to do, but I would be doing what Eckler's doing if I was Eckler. Candy, Austin, read the room, bud. <laughs> Look around and read the room. You you can't assume that yesterday's price is today's price. You're asking to be paid for not only current performance, but past performance. And yeah, that happens in a lot of free agency situations throughout professional sports, but the market has spoken. And it's not, look, this is not some Lamar Jackson level collusion where randomly we're all coming out and saying we don't want the best quarterback in the league on our team. This is, look at what's been signed this offseason. What's the biggest contract you've seen? What, three years and 18 million for David Montgomery? 11 million guaranteed? And even that's looked at as a long term deal. Josh Jacobs on the franchise tag. Saquon Barkley on the franchise tag. Guys who performed admirably last year. And the Giants went right out and said, yeah, you know who were signed to the long-term deal? The quarterback that not anybody really knew that they wanted last year. Not the number two overall draft pick running back. Because they know running backs don't age. The performance drops off a cliff. There is no gradual slide down when it comes to running backs. You drop off a cliff. And when it goes, it goes. Number one. Let's talk draft. Still many weeks away, but Adam Hill is going to wind up doing his uh, 37 mock drafts. Hey, that's what the the fans want. So go check out the latest one in the RJ. He's got the Raiders taking a cornerback, Devin Witherspoon, kid out of Illinois, at number seven. Adam's pretty connected. He talks to Raiders brass. I'm not saying he knows the exact player they're taking, USA Today, Candy, says it's going to be quarterback Will Levis at number seven. Thoughts? The Jimmy Garoppolo signing tells you that the Raiders absolutely are looking for a quarterback. Now, a lot of what the Raiders do is going to be determined by two things. One, are they willing to trade up? And two, if they're not willing to trade up, who else is? Because that's going to determine what happens with the quarterbacks. Do they have one quarterback that they like? Or are they willing to take any of the top four guys? Well, that's when you're at number seven, what's left to figure out. So I think the value for the Raiders, if it plays out the way that it looks like it's going to play out, and at least three quarterbacks go in the top six before them, value is absolutely at cornerback. Now, is this guy a shutdown in the mold of a Sauce Gardner? Not that we know of, but look at the value you can get immediately out of a cornerback who hits. 
Sauce Gardner wasn't the best defensive rookie last year. He might have been the best defensive player in the league last year, no matter if Nick Bosa won it or not. You know, I, I'm curious as if Levis was available at seven, if the Raiders would take him or trade back for somebody who wants to trade up and get the last, you know, right blue chip quarterback. Right. And, and I would say if I was the Raiders, I would trade down if Levis was available and there was a trade partner um, because I, I think they just have more to build around. And I know what you're saying with Garoppolo, but I also think that he can – be the quarterback for more than one season and you can play out into the next draft and see what Garoppolo can do for the, the team this season. Yeah, I think they spent way too much money on Garoppolo in general, but they also spent way too much money to draft a high-level quarterback and then hold him on the bench for at least two years because I think Garoppolo is going to be given two years. The other thing is I believe they like one quarterback in the draft. It ain't Will Levis. Mm -hmm. And it's a guy who's going to go before Will Levis. And could they trade up? Of course they could. But Vic Tafer from The Athletic, who's very good on the Raiders and also very connected like Adam Hill is, uh, Tafer in his mock draft actually has the Raiders trading back and still getting this Witherspoon kid and additional draft capital. That's probably the, you know, the way to go. But we say that every year going into the draft. Like, everyone's got to trade back. Well, you got to find partners to do it. Last year was very active in the first round. And by the way, Raiders still have real players, like veteran players making good amounts of money like Wide receivers. I'm not saying Devontae Adams is going to be the guy, but that was kind of the hot ticket last year if teams wanted to move up and move back. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers offices in Henderson, Vegas, and Reno. Call from anywhere in the state, 766-1400. Isn't this interesting? According to Albert Breer, teams not in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes are saying they would not give up a first-round pick for him. The Jets should give up a second this year and then a conditional pick next year. Now think about that. If Patrick Mahomes was available on the market today, we were discussing this as a team this morning. I got to say, five first-round picks minimum. Minimum in perpetuity until he retires. Good God, Tyreek Hill, a wide receiver, went for five picks. Christian McCaffrey, a running back that struggles to stay healthy, went for a collection of picks. I know, I know, I know you think I'm picking on Aaron. This is what the market is telling you. And that's why Green Bay and the Jets are in a bit of a, a stalemate. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. So that was a good take from Colin Coward. He's got a lot of good ones. You know, our favorite show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Um, I will say, and we only had a small part of that clip because that's what Fox puts out, and they do a great job putting out videos. Colin was making the case, and I'm glad he actually talked to GMs to get the deal on Rodgers. He was also making the case last week that the – Packers should almost get a Stafford-like deal, Candy. And he never mentioned that the reason you know there was a lot going back and forth is that a long-term contract of Jared Goff was being moved. So the return, that was a big part of that deal. Like, mm -hmm. that's not Aaron Rodgers. And I've been saying from the get-go, and I get, I get over, you know, overhyped on this. I'll ask you first, Candy. As a Jets fan, you know, we keep talking about who's got the leverage – I still think the Jets have the leverage. I don't believe Rodgers will play for the Packers. I don't believe they want him to play there. Imagine if he just showed up, right? Hey, we're not going to trade. You wouldn't give us a first-round pick. And then Rodgers is like, all right, I'm showing up. Let's go. Or he, he could just retire. Now, do the Jets have a backup plan? Not really. Could they offer $200 million to Lamar Jackson and upset the whole freaking thing? Yes. Uh, but I think this whole leverage thing is really interesting. I'm glad Coward finally got to it because I said 
a conditional three and a five is what you give up. I'm not giving up a one, so I'm glad he got from the actual GMs that it could be a two and a four. Look, this whole leverage thing is something we make up to talk about because Aaron Rodgers isn't traded yet. In the end, you're not going to remember whether he went for a two and a three, a two and a four, a two and a five. It's not going to matter. Either Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets and leads them into the playoffs, or he doesn't. Because if you go back over time, how many of these picks do you ultimately remember who became the pick? I mean, yeah, the Khalil Mack trade might be a little different because the Raiders ended up with three first-round picks in one year, and they all essentially were busts of some level. But when it comes to this, look, either the deal gets done or it doesn't, and what the leverage is or isn't, I don't think is going to determine whether this is a first-round pick and a third, a second and a fourth. Like, either the Packers want to make this trade or they don't. And in the end, that's really what matters. The Jets can't force this trade. Either the Packers no. want to do it or they don't. No, the Jets can't force a trade, but... If I were running the Jets on a team where I'm getting a guy for a year or two, I'm keeping the 13th pick in the draft. I need help now at a low salary. I know I sound crazy here because the no, other part of this I, I pitched right. last week was, I don't care if they get – I mean, I'd like to have Lamar Jackson. I'd like to have Aaron Rodgers. It'll be cool being relevant. I also believe this is still a building team where Rodgers takes them from seven wins to ten. I don't care this year if they friggin' run Zach Wilson out there. And they suck ass, and they win five games, and they're in the quarterback derby again next year. But I know most Jet fans, and the, the guys who run the Jets can't think like that because they feel like they're under pressure. Well, I, I'm with you on this. I mean, I, if I'm running the Jets, I don't want to give up a first. Um, I don't even know if I want to give up a second. I think, it's, I think it's a hell of a gamble to bring Rodgers on and think that you're going to be able to solve all the problems that the Jets have with just a – 41 year old quarterback right right like I, I don't know about that and I don't think you're building yourself for success into the future so I would much if I was a Jets fan I'd much rather them upset the apple cart and go after Lamar Jackson and really do something that way right. than than to do Aaron Rodgers but yeah you can't make the Packers do it but you also you know if the Packers are asking and saying it has to be a first well the Packers are the ones who are in the tough bind here not the Jets I mean like you said, the Jets are, they may feel pressure because they're underperforming, but I really don't think that getting Rodgers is going to change that. I really don't. Yeah. Now, Woody Johnson's going to come into this year, he's going to come into the room and go, We need to win. I care. Like, even you know, you don't care. You haven't cared. Um, all right. Let's move on to another really big story in New York and around the country with Donald Trump and potentially an arrest and indictments coming down in New York. This is, uh, wow, we got this from TikTok. Um, Michael Smirkanish explains uh, his legal take on this, saying this could be a mistake, not from an optic standpoint, but actually being prosecutable. The case that Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg might bring against Donald Trump is weak. Here's why. First of all, keep in mind, the feds refused to prosecute Trump based on the same facts, and they could have. In New York, falsification of business records is a misdemeanor. Bragg is trying to move that up to felony status by bringing in a New York state election law violation. With regard to falsification of business records, they're going to need to show that Trump, in the last three weeks of the campaign, when he's barnstorming the country, nevertheless had knowledge of the way this payment would be reflected on the company books. Thoughts? There's a lot there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
the saying the feds didn't prosecute it when they could have. Well, they couldn't have prosecuted it under New York state election law. And the New York state election law is the felony that they're trying to bring. So I, I don't necessarily agree just because the feds didn't do it, that that means that the New York case is weak because New York has different and stronger laws that they can apply. Um, and then you also can't say it's necessarily weak without having the evidence and knowing what the New York thinks that they know about the motives behind the payment, right? So his next point on this was, well, Trump's not going to say he did it to benefit his election. He's going to say he did it to protect his family from embarrassment, and then that wouldn't violate any election laws. Well, they likely have communications back and forth between campaigns. They have Cohen testifying on their behalf. So they can absolutely talk about what they believe his motivations are through witnesses and through documents, some of which we don't have access to. So a little early for me to say that I think it's weak, but I'm also going to say this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Trump fan, but the case that they brought against him or his foundation on the IRS evasion, I actually thought that that was weak. They got a conviction on that. Um, but I actually thought that that one was sort of petty and weak too soon for me to make an opinion on this one until I see the indictment and what evidence they think that they have on them. Is New York playing a long game here? Like, are they waiting? There are, you know, stories out there circulating that two other states could be working on some other indictments. Like, is, is it just, is this all timing or they're just, hey, we're going to, we'll do like three back to back to back. We can wait. I, I doubt that. I mean, I think that, um, I think if in in the cases that exist or potential cases that exist against Trump, I think that this is not the one that the public is going to be on your side on. I think the whole Stormy Daniels, I think all that, they, Michael Cohen, they've moved on from that. They all accept the fact that as is true and the fact that he was evasive or lied about it. And, and they've moved on from that. So the public doesn't care. I think that the one that they care about is going on in Georgia. Now, that indictment, if that one comes down and the evidence they have about him attempting to pressure elected officials to overturn the will of the people in Georgia, I still think is poignant in the mind of the, of, of the public. And I think that the, the criminal penalties associated with that are much more severe and real and tangible. Justin Watkins with us. 766-1400, Battlemorn Injury Lawyers in Reno and Henderson. And in Las Vegas, offices and all those spots. Uh, I saw the, a tweet a couple of weeks ago, not even a couple of weeks ago, it was last week, from Benjamin Crump, who's a you know, pretty famous attorney now. And, and he had tweeted out a story about a guy named Sidney Holmes, who was wrongly accused of armed robbery in 1989. He is just being let free after 34 years in jail. The initial sentence was 400 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, our justice system sometimes, what the hell is going on? And, like, what restitution does he get? And who pays for this? And I don't mean the money part of it. Does yeah. someone pay for this? Yeah. And I think this area of law is still developing. Like, I, I don't know in, in their state what the laws are, but it wasn't until 2017 when I started in the legislature. It wasn't my bill. It was uh, Speaker Steve Yeager's bill. Uh, he wasn't a speaker at the time. But... There was, there is in Nevada statute now restitution for wrongfully imprisoned, both fi it, it financially, hundred thousand dollars a year. 
Okay, so if you're in prison, you, you can uh, up to a caps, uh, and I don't remember the particulars on that, but there is statutory. They don't have to make a claim. They don't have to try to prove that, you know, they, they get it if they've been freed uh, on wrongfully accused, and which happens a lot. It's happening and, a lot more now, especially well, with the emergence of DNA and key cases being reopened and small town justice. I mean, I, there's not a night you know, where I can go home and I, I can't find a documentary on someone getting freaking railroaded by all parts of that system locally. Well, and let's just remember how things were back then, right? There's no body cam videos. There's no cell phone video footage, right? Whatever the whatever the police said that they thought the motives to be uh, and whatever evidence that they fe- said that they found was taken by the public and the juries as fact. And as we've moved on as a society and we have had more access to videos and 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 places like Nevada force law enforcement to wear body cam, we find out that that's not always true. And so when you bring up these old cases now and present them to judges and juries, they're much more receptive to the idea that evidence collection back then was not what it is today. Motives back then were not what they are today. And, and so, you know, these innocent projects that exist that were bringing cases before they were getting denied by judges on rehearings because the judges were just like, no, we, we believe law enforcement. And now they're getting their hearings because public opinion has changed. Do you think if you could go after prosecutors, you can't now like former prosecutors, if you could go after them, you can, what would, okay. Cause I, we always hear, Oh, well you, you can't go after them. They've got immunity. Um, like would, would that whole field just empty out? No one would want to be a prosecutor because, hey, you know what? You could get dinged down the road. I think that that's overblown. Okay. Keep that thought. We'll come back. We'll address that. A lot more to get to with Justin Watkins. ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield & Company to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. So we watch all these old documentaries or new documentaries about old cases where there's miscarriage of justice and it just looks like the prosecutor was a complete horse's ass. They just needed convictions. You know, these are elected positions uh, most of the time. And I said to you, uh, I figured they just had immunity. You can't ever go after them. You can't ever go, uh, can't ever go after bad police work. And you said, well, you can? You can. Okay. Uh, and it, it varies state to state. depends on the laws that you have available to you. Like, I, I am aware of a prosecutor being charged in Texas um, for, you know, intentionally ignoring the evidence, right? It, there, there, There is no, that I'm aware of, any law in any state that allows you to prosecute uh, a district attorney for negligence, criminal negligence. Basically, you should... You were a really bad attorney, and you should have known that this case was bunk when you tried to prosecute it. I don't think you're ever going to find any sort of protections for that. But I think you will find, and you are seeing states develop laws about intentional. Like, the defense presents this evidence to you and shows you, hey, this person's innocent, and you ignore it. Or that's that's less likely to get a prosecution. Where you're likely to get a prosecution is when the DA has exculpatory evidence, and they do not give it to the defense. That's where you're going to find that, hey, that is criminally uh, and shows criminal intent to violate somebody's constitutional rights. Um, and in those situations, we are seeing developing law that allows that to be a, a, a crime, a prosecutable crime. Good. Light question to close on. And I'll ask you first, Candy. This comes from Judge Dan, regular contributor out of Denver, real judge, real attorney, sports talk host, fan in Denver. He said, um, 
they debate this question on the show. He was at a steak place, was invited by a vendor. The vendor is paying for the meal. Judge Dan wanted to know, when you're being treated in a case like this, do you order cheap or you get whatever you want? What do you do, Candy? Oh, I think there are clear etiquette rules when it comes to this. You don't order from the very top of the menu, right? You're not going to go for the Wagyu in this situation. But at the same time, like we, we are aware of the circumstances here. If a vendor is taking you to a steakhouse and you are not a public servant who faces some level of recourse for this, then I'm probably going to get at least something that looks like I'm enjoying myself, right? I'm, I think I can still order a small, reasonably sized ribeye. I don't think that's any sort of an issue. I don't need to go order the uh, the shrimp salad. It's fine. It's going to look weird. What do you do? You load it up? Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll speak from the vendor standpoint. Like, if, if I invite you out to a steakhouse... Like, I want you to enjoy the meal, and I want you to go big. Now, not Wagyu big. I mean, if your steak is $450 and every other steak on the menu is, you know, $120 and down, then I'm yeah. going to be like, dude, come on. But I want you to, I want you to get a steak that you, that you want. I want you to eat well. I want you to have a good time. That's why, I ha- that's why I've invited you. And if somebody invites me and they're, pe- and they're flipping the bill, I assume the exact same thing. So on this show – we have one person who absolutely will not order even to the middle of the selections. We'll probably get a wedge, yeah, a salad wedge. You know who that is? Yeah, Adam Hill. The martyr. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. It's but garbage. only to have the ammo yes. to get on the other people for ordering yes. in the middle or up top. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And by the way, we can tie all this together. You brought Judge Dan out for a round of golf yep. and then a meal at uh, whatever your country club is. Yep. And I think he went high on the high. He, he lived it up. I wanted him to. That's why I had him right, there. Right. You know, like uh, that, that's okay. that's what I would tell Adam if you standing right here is like I know Adam to be an ultra super nice guy, and I would say if I took you out to dinner and you did that, it yeah. would be offensive to yeah, me. Yeah, you're, I'm gonna get mad at you. Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate it. You know, then then I don't want to I don't want to take you out. Ooh, you know, this is the last time. You tell him. <laughs> that's right. I like that. We gotta we gotta we gotta do this at some point. Yeah, we'll set it up. Even if you're not paying for the whole meal, we just want to put him to the test. That's it. Make sure you give uh, Matt Hoffman and Justin Watkins a call at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Office is now in Reno. You can call from anywhere in the state, 766-1400. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling on Reno, Vegas. ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno. Ari's here. Candy as well. Willie has stopped by as uh, Willie was out. I was uh, early in the day at the West Regional. It's right here in Las Vegas. West Regional Media Day. Willie and uh, Adam Hill covering the later part of the day. So we'll hear from Mark Few and possibly Mick Cronin in the 5 o'clock hour. I want to get to Julian Strother, which is a really big story, Candy, that he's back home playing in a regional here in just a second. But uh, to finish up that restaurant you're being treated topic you gave some good advice off the air what do you do with the person who's treating you if someone takes you out i've always been taught this is from way back in, is that you 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 genuinely just kind of ask your host hey what do you think what looks good what do you what are you thinking of and then and it's almost understood that whatever they say that's your range okay 
So if you tell me you're getting the $80 steak, wherever it may be, or the $120, whatever it is, I know that's my ring. You treated me on a bet, which maybe maybe could be different. I guess you could be just a jackass and just run up the bill when you're the winner of a bet. But I think I no, you treated I, me. I, was it okay? I noticed. I know. <laughs> was it? I lost that one. You've never treated me. No, because this past season we split, and then the previous season right. it, it, I can't really remember what we bet, but yeah. I won. But I guess I'm thinking ahead because uh, you owe me now because yeah. we we went head to head on Gonzaga and yeah. Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one, Candy. I actually got a middle on that one. Uh, in in terms of betting at the book. Um, what the hell was I getting? Oh, Gonzaga minus nine and a half. That was an in-game. And then Willie uh, gave me plus 15, so I had a 10 to 14 middle with a meal and real money coming my way. I actually well, got it. Well, I love I never that. hit middles. Woo! I, I love that in the first place, but, uh, but Willie, I'm just saying, don't ever ask Steve, like, oh, what are you getting? Because he's going to name, like, some obscure side or, like, a sandwich or something like that. And you're not going to get nearly the value that you should out of this bet. And I understand where you're coming from, but I do have to defend him that where we went that night when he paid up, he was like, whatever you want. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, we, got the, we got the Anapost. We got the nice it, – it was pretty – We got way too much food. We had, yeah, we, we, had yeah, we ended up taking food. stuff home. I don't, I don't even know – we don't have to name the place. I don't even know that they have, like, a crazy steak or – they have lobster no, on there. They, they do have some. They have okay. a. They have a seafood dish. Okay. It's an Italian. You know the, the sure. seafood dish that you get with where it's all shellfish with it. But yeah, they have one steak dish. Right. Most Italian choices have at least one. Candy, have you covered an NCAA tournament? You know, uh, you know, first round location or regional before? I have. Okay. Have you refed one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't quite reached that level yet, but <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. it uh, Two thousand actually was the first time I did that. The NCAA is a really interesting organization to be around. Very, very regimented. Like today's setup was real interesting. Yeah, and um, it's and it's wild. Somebody commented, um, local reporter covers business. He it's just like he was, it was surreal to walk out there and see the logo in the middle of the Thomas and Mac. It's, I mean, we've been there for Gonzaga Duke. We've been there for other tournaments. Yeah. We've been to the Orleans. But to walk out there and, and sort of feel the vibe, walk into the, the media room that we that's turned sideways now um, that we normally are used to for the Golden Knights and watch and see March Madness and, yep. and, and NC2A logos everywhere, wild. So what do you think it's like for Julian Strother? I mean, this is kind of old hat for him, but – and he's played in Vegas a lot. He has. But – yeah. Now we're talking Vegas and a chance to go to the Final Four. It is, and I and I commented. I, I immediately when I left the uh, as I was walking out of T-Mobile, I called his father and we spoke, and I was like, "Man, what a difference!" The first time that I actually interviewed him during a press conference was Gonzaga Duke when they were out here, and it was the, it was the pregame, and Julian's always been fine in front of the media, even back to his Liberty days, but the poise and just calm. In which today, like he held court, Steve. We walked in the in the locker room. Drew Timmy went. He was there before they whisked him in out to do video. Right. And then Julian three different scrums. So we have one. And then people go, okay, thanks. And then went, and then all of a sudden another one. And he just sat back and held court. But his answers were elongated. They were, and he just he was very conversational, or his dad put it, very engaging. Good. Yeah. That's why you go to school. And part very, of it. Very relaxed. So there's no tension. Before he was, his answers were good, but they were quick. He wasn't short, but they were quick. I mean, whatever scrum you were in, you know the Strathers better than anyone. So I know yeah. you asked this question, so we'll fire the answer here about 
uh, Julian and the first time he what he ever played or just picked up a basketball? No, this was the very first time we were all there. Oh, okay. I was there in uncle mode. Okay. We were all there at Desert Breeze Community Rec Center, and this was his first time he ever played organized basketball. First time I ever hit the court, um, it was game day, and my coach subs me in the game, and I decided that I was too scared to get on the court, and I cried on the bench, and my mom and dad were yelling at me from the bleachers, and uh, I went home that night, and they took all my toys and said the NBA Magic Man took them, and the only way to get them back was to get on the court. So the next game I went out there, and then I ended up falling in love with it, and it's been over ever since. Involved in that next game, too. Yeah, it, it, it was just a mom, obviously, you play with her on your heart every single game, yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, this is like, I've, I've been telling my teammates, this is like the biggest basketball game I've ever played in my life, you know, tomorrow night, just, you know, Vegas, March Madness, I mean, it's just an amazing opportunity, and I know she's going to be watching. Was that a boogeyman I didn't know about? The NBA Magic Man? Magic, NBA Magic Money. And, and as oh, I was magic walking, money, Magic Money, Magic Man. Magic and man, as man. I was walking to my car, Lee said, "Let me give you the. Make sure you know the." We told him the. He said, "Lee told me the NBA gods." Julian said, "The NBA Magic Man." I don't know how I'm going to word it in my story for the Sporting Tribune, but it's going to be a heartfelt piece, obviously, for as far back as I go with the uh, with Lee. Um, you know, and and his younger brother Willis, and and we've been friends since 1985. So to to, to you know to knowing that we've been there for each for all of our kids, uh, you know, when they were born, and to watch tomorrow night, the pride for me, it's 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 cool going to be to be watch Julian and go step on that court for the West Regional, but the pride for me will be to see my dear friend Lee in the stands wherever he may be, just knowing right. the, the swelling pride he'll have. I don't want to have to root for Gonzaga, Candy, but there's a lot of reasons to do so. Um, put Mark Few aside, the fact that Julian's on the team. The other thing is, you know, we're, we're kind of all in this together in the Pacific time zone and the growing narrative by jabronis in the Midwest, South, and Northeast about soft basketball out this way. And Gonzaga in particular doesn't play a schedule and they, they never get the job done. Like, they've been to eight straight Sweet 16s. I don't even know how that narrative exists anymore. Two things out of this. First of all, to the Gonzaga idea, Mark Few has built a blue blood out of a program that was nothing. Just understand what that is in today's day and age of college basketball. Because every blue blood you know about has been a blue blood for decades, except Gonzaga. So what Mark Few has done is remarkable, no matter what else you think of how they play basketball. And as for rooting for the Strothers, yeah, I'll, I'll happily take my reporter hat off because I've ref Julian's games. I knew Paris all through her UNLV career when I was broadcasting for the Lady Rebels. They're great kids. They come from a great family and couldn't wish them anything more than the best uh, tomorrow night and beyond. Did you hear Few speak? I didn't. Okay. Because you, I, you actually, of all the people on the show, you've been, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm busting on Few and just kind of his grumbly attitude sometimes, yeah. but you were pretty strong on I think it was you right yeah talking about yep. his coaching in the biggest spots yeah because I have I have always felt that when it when it's up when things are going well and the entire cast if you will the supporting cast and everybody else is playing well then obviously it looks like he's doing great but when he's up against it I tend to think that he relies too much on his main guy and when he's playing you know like in the national championship against Baylor they had depth and they were able to reach down onto the bench. And you saw, I thought, few get outcoached. And I just think that when they're up against it, he relies on his main guy too much and forgets that he has a supporting cast. They try to run everything through Timmy. There was actually a comment in um, the round of 32 that one of the broadcasters actually said, 
every time down the court, the ball runs through Timmy. They got to spread it around, and that was when they were still struggling. Remember, they weren't leading in that game. They had to make a comeback. Julian actually hit a three that put him ahead. So, uh, yeah, I've definitely been critical of him only because I think that he runs everything to one. You have a star, but when, as Adam said, you build a blue blood because you have depth and you have an entire cast. Candy, you playing this game? UCLA one and a half? Nope, not not involved at all. I have taken a sit-back-and-enjoy approach Uh-oh. to all of this. Hey, first time since I was 13, I didn't even fill out a bracket this year. Really? Nope. What? Nope. That's right. We didn't get with you to fill out the uh, the mandatory the mandatory LVSN March Mania bracket, which uh, right oh, now. Oh, I'm right sorry. Now- I filled out that one, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely did that one. I, I've, I've, I've hit every game except one. Yeah. Uh, right now, Willie is killing it along with JVT and Q. They lead everyone at Lotus Broadcasting in the bracket. Now, they're, I think you guys are about 12 points off the pace, mm. but uh, nice job, Willie. Yeah, I only got one team left in the finals. I'd like to Wait, so, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's say that a little louder. Willie's only got one team left in the Final Four. Yeah. So One of my finals teams is out. Arizona, 215, 215. But I have a chance to catch you maybe. I have three of the four teams left in the Final Four, which is not something to you know, brag about. Um, real quick, real quick, I just want to, if we can, go back to the sound that we played with Julian. The, the second part of that, and for those listeners that don't know or aren't aware, and Candy's well aware, aware of this, if he ref Paris's games, but before Paris, one of Paris's high school years, and I, I can't remember which one, I want to say maybe it was her junior year, but um, and Julian was still in, uh, a, a young kid, and he wasn't even in high school yet, but they lost their mother to breast cancer. And uh, that's what he was talking about. Him, she, She'll always be with him. She, he has a tattoo of her. And um, and I remember when Lee and, and Cookie met, her name is Lourdes, um, when they met back in the 80s, and, uh, and she lived in L.A. at the time. And uh, she was a real special lady, and so um, it's 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 a it's a heartwarming story. Just in in terms of the love of that family and the fact that when Cookie passed, um, Julian's older sisters Paris and Paige, they sort of took the maternal role in in watching and helping Lee to raise Julian, and and now Paige has a, a son of of her own, and. Julian's nephew Ace. So, um, yeah, for for the feel good, heartfelt story for the local kid, the hometown hero, if you will, there's definitely a lot deeper reason to root for Julian, the Strothers, the entire family, beyond Gonzaga too. Because if any family deserves the greatness that goes beyond college basketball and into the pro ranks, it's the Strother family. Uh, no segue to this one, but I feel like you guys are on different sides on stories you sent over for the rundown. Candy, can you uh, briefly talk about what you're seeing with uh, Tommy? And uh, Giselle? I mean, I'm not claiming to see anything. I'm not paparazzi. All I know (laughs) is that Giselle did an interview in Vanity Fair in which she told everyone that it was not just about Tom Brady unretiring and going back to football that led them to divorce. So that it's not that black and white. It's one piece of a much larger picture. And so I I, I just, I don't know. Did something else happened. Can, well, Candy on? sent me a story yesterday that uh, who was it? Was it a psychologist? Was kind of looking at a lot of the social media posts and some of the stuff going on, and was thinking that maybe they were getting back together. I sent you that. Yeah, that's no, what I said you said Candy. Who cares? Okay. Yes. Well, no, no. There were some social media. Well, yeah, be confused. Don't get t- don't get uh, testy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I thought I set it up. You guys were on opposite sides. So, Will- Dad, well, Dad, I don't like when you fight. Sorry. No, no that no, that's true. That, that 
Time is of the essence. She's going to definitely say that. But no, there was the psychologist that read into social media posts, and apparently mm. they're, re- they're reading into the fact that Giselle and Tom could – is that possible? I think. I mean, after that whole blow up, and then it went final, and then he, and then okay, well, everything's cool, and he went back to the side, went back to the locker room, everything's cool, but now all of a sudden they're going to get back. No, no, okay. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank not God. that Vanity Fair article. They're not like thank, she thank made it pretty clear. I love him, but no. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Willie. I care. I care. I wanted to give you credit for the story, but the stories you sent were on opposite sides. But it wasn't like they were your sources, so. <laughs> Interesting stuff. We'll always dive into uh, TB12. And God, I, I hope he comes back. Please, Tom. I need you. Please, buddy. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Alerts. Thanks to uh, Reno for checking in. You can hear the whole show on LVSportsNetwork.com or check out the archive. Same site, LVSportsNetwork.com. Thanks, Willie.